Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good morning, everyone. It's, it's wonderful to be here this morning. I love this place. Kathy and I love this place. We have done ever since back to that chicken hut how many years ago and see what God has done over the years. We've, I'm so blessed to be here on the morning that you're praying with, with Dixie. We love Dixie because he's just such a good man of God. And, and what, a, what an honor to be here while you're praying with him. I love the leadership here. I love the way Phil has handed over to these young guys that are just oozing with uh, it's not potential because they're doing it. They're just gone away. Dave and Laura there, you know, and, and, and Alan. And to the way Tash has led the, the last couple of days. You are blessed here in this place. I hope you realize that, how blessed you are. And so it's a real privilege for me to come in every now and again. I do watch what's going on. I sometimes go on to live stream when I can, depending on where I am. But I do watch what's going on through the different social media. So it, it's great to be part of what you're doing, although I'm not in, in this place. The last couple of days, the Tabar Conference, many of you have been at that, and I think it's probably one of the best conferences I've ever been to, I would have to say. I think particularly the words were incredible, but the worship was just awesome. For those of you who were there, you'll know what I'm talking about. It just was awesome. It was just to be in the presence of God was really special and unpredictable. And so I, I felt so much blessed by being here this last couple of days. The theme was leading from the known into the unknown. And I wanted to take that just a little bit further this morning just to give some thoughts from my perspective on that, leading from the known to the unknown. So this morning I've got a lot of scriptures that I want to share with you. And uh, if you can, pin your ears back and take a note of them if you want to, because I found for me as a, as a preacher, but as someone who loves the Word, I don't get it all first time. Uh, and so, so for, for me, for example, at the Tobar conference on the first morning, I, I listened to one of the messages, and, and I don't understand it at all. I, I've just taken down copious notes on my phone, and I'm going to go through it myself because I want to know, God, what are you saying to me through this? Because sometimes I just don't get it all in a meeting. Do you know what I mean? Now, maybe you are cleverer than me. I'm from Enniskillen after all. You know, maybe you're quicker and you get it all as a download, but I don't. I have to think it over. And this morning's message may be one that you have to think over about what God is saying to you. Leading from the known to the unknown, the thought that came through my mind as I was here is a, a linear thought, and, and this is the way sometimes our minds work. So when you hear the expression, uh, leading from the known to the unknown, we, we can automatically think that we get to the end of the, un, the known, and then God kicks in the unknown. So the unknown starts at the end of your known. I want to sort of change that thinking this morning because I believe in God that actually the unknown is running parallel with the known. And so there are, are situations that God knows about this morning in your life and in your neighbor's life,
life and in people that we interact with, he's already at work in them. The Methodists used to call it prevenient grace, the grace that comes before. God is not willing that anyone should perish. Therefore, if that's the case, then he is at work in every man and in every woman, wanting them to come to the place where they find his son and get saved. Would you agree with me this morning? And so if he's doing that, he's already at work. He doesn't start at the end of the known. The unknown goes along with that. And so I want to, this morning, just share some scriptures with you to make you think. And I'm starting off, really, uh, in, the, in the story of Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah has run away from a lady called Jezebel. He's already been on the mountain, Mount Carmel, where he prayed down the fire that we pray will happen at this festival next year. But after that, he's got to meet this lady called Jezebel, or at least he thinks he's going to meet her. He runs away, hides in a cave. Uh, there's an earthquake, wind, and fire. God's not in any of them. He speaks in a small voice, and he says to them, I want you to get back the way you came. I want you to anoint Hazel as king of Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu as king of Israel, and I want you to anoint Elisha, who will be the one who will carry on from you. And then he says this word. He says, yet I reserved 7,000. You see, what, what Elijah had said to him was, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And we have the ability to think that we are the only one. God says to him, hold on. I want to unveil the unknown to you this morning because while you think there's only you hidden in the unknown, I've got 7,000. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And if I were to ask you, if you're a Bible scholar, where are those 7,000? You won't be able to answer me because we cannot find them in Scripture. It's the only place that this verse comes. We know God doesn't lie. So he says, I've got 7,000. Where are they? Well, I want to introduce you to one or two of them. And uh, the next verse, if, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 10, you'll see it in this. Because what happens is there's a guy called Jehu. Jehu does become the king of Israel. And Jehu is anointed for a special task. He is tasked with destroying the, uh, the Baal worshippers, those that are involved in Baal worship. Stick on the next one for me there, Barbara, in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 10. And what happens in this passage is this guy called Jehu, he's on his way to do what God has told him to do, which is to destroy Baal worship from the land. But on his way, he stops. So let me just read it to you. Now, when he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him and said to him, Is your heart right? as my heart is towards your heart. And Jehonadab answered, It is, Jehu said. If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and took him up to him in, into the chariot. And then they rode on together. They destroyed what they were going to destroy, the two of them standing side by side. After that, Jehonadab goes away. Jehu goes away to do his own thing. But for a period of time, they ran parallel. So the question I'm going to ask you this morning is this. Who is Jehonadab? If I was to ask you to give me a brief history of the Bible, you could probably all do it to me this morning. You'd probably start maybe with Adam, maybe with Noah. Many of you would start with Abraham. 
And you'd, if you were running through the Bible, we could do it in a, very, in a couple of sentences. God called Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. And then we have Joseph went into Egypt. And then God raised up a man called Moses who brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He then handed over to a guy called Joshua who brought them across the Jordan into the Promised Land. And then we have the Judges and the Prophets, and then we head into the New Testament. That's a pocket history of the Old Testament. And we all have heard sermons on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But I wonder how many times you have heard of this guy, Jehonadab. If I said to you, where did he come from? You might not be able to answer me. And that's okay. I just want to try and reveal something to you this morning. One of our favorite stories as a family are the Narnia Chronicles. We've watched them for years. Kathy and I, before we had children, used to bring them on holiday with us. We knew them practically off by heart, but we have the dramatized version in our car. And so when we go to America, when the kids were small, in fact, we still do it, but we've been doing this for years. We, we play these, these uh, chronicles. And one of my favorites is called The Silver Chair. And the silver chair, you have Prince Rillian, and, and uh, what happens is there's an underground army being prepared. And at one stage, the prince says, it, he laughs and he says, they've got no idea, the overlanders, what's going to happen. At one moment, we're going to break out and we're going to destroy them. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning is this idea that there is an unknown army of people that God is working with right at this moment of time, but at some stage, you and those unknown people are going to have an impact moment. There's going to be a, a breakout moment. And for Jehonadab and Jehu, it happened when Jehu stopped his chariot and said, is there something in your heart that relates to something in my heart that if there is, give me your hand? So that's where we're going this morning. So let's go back a little bit to where these guys started. Really, the first time we hear about their family, the family of the Rechabites or the Kenites, as they're called in some places, goes back to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses came out of Egypt, he was in the wilderness for 40 years, and he met a guy called Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, and he married his daughter, who was called Zipporah. And that's the first time we, they, they're called the Kenites. And so they, they meet in the wilderness. Now, these are nomadic people. They're people who travel around in tents. They don't own houses. They're an unusual people. But later on in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 29, before they go into cross over the Jordan to go into the promised land, Moses goes to his uh, brother-in-law, who was Jethro's son, a man called Hobab. You might never have heard of him before. And he said to Hobab, Hobab, you've lived as a nomad. We're going through the wilderness. We're going into the promised land. Would you come with us? Would you help us? You're an experienced man. You could be our eyes and our ears. And so Hobab, he doesn't tell us there that he says yes, because he actually says to them, I've got my own family. I've got my own ministry. But when we read in the book of Judges, we read that he did it. He gave up his own ambitions in the book of Judges, chapter 1 and verse 6. It talks about the children of the Kenite. Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah. So they went with them. Then we read on about them later on. If you go on a little before, we read about them in Judges chapter 4, verse 11, where they separated themselves away. And as we go through this, you'll find there's this group of people who, who God has put his hand on 
but they're never part of the main story. They're not the main story. And you don't even probably know their story, but they run parallel. You'll find in Judges chapter 4 when the judge is a lady called Deborah, Deborah, and Deborah and Barak. And in that story, there's, there's a, a, a lady who killed Caesarea, the enemy of, uh, the enemy commander. Her name's Jael, uh, Heber's wife, Jael. Jail. She is a Kenite. She's one of these people who live just a little bit of a distance from, from the others. Turn on to the, the next one for me there, please, and you'll, you can look these up yourself. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is where God said to Saul, Saul, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. And he doesn't destroy a king called Agag, but he does destroy them afterwards. But in, at this stage, Saul, before he goes to fight with the Amalekites, he goes to the Kenites and he says to them, I realize you've helped our people. I'm, God's told me to destroy these folk. Please move away from them. So they're, they're on the edge. They're an important people, but they're on the edge. And there in 1 Chronicles 2.55, these are the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab. Just to, for those of you who are, are Bible and want everything to tie together, it just shows where the Kenites and they, they come together. And then we come to 2 Kings chapter 10. This underground group of people who are on the edge, maybe they're unaccepted in society. They're certainly different because they were a little bit on the odd side. A nomadic people who would never be possibly accepted as the main. It's not the main story, but it's a parallel story that's going along. And where I'm going with this this morning is our theme for the Tobar Conference was leading from the known into the unknown. But our mind, when we look logically at that, makes has an assumption that's actually actually a wrong assumption that is when the known stops the unknown starts but what I'm saying to you this morning is that God wants you to know that while you're in your known he's already in your unknown that while you're doing what you believe God has called you to do working in your linear fashion going from day one to day two he is already working in your unknown and somewhere along the line he has set you up or will set you up where you will be you will be caused to interact with your unknown so leading from the known to the unknown can happen at any moment we can have a breakthrough. That breakthrough may happen for you this week where you are, are if it was like me sitting on, on an airplane talking to somebody, I was sharing that after this on the first service and a guy came to me afterwards who said that just happened to him on a plane coming flying into Belfast where he was in a position of talking to somebody that God had set up for him right on the seat beside him and it happens for me all the time like that. My wife and I are constantly going to have coffee. I was saying to somebody beforehand that that. Uh, we, we don't do date nights because my wife doesn't like eating out late at night. So, but we go for coffee nearly every day when we're at home. We'll go somewhere for coffee because I'm away out of the country most of the time. So when I go home, we go and have coffee. But we have this little expression. It's not about the coffee. Because constantly God is leading us to a place where a lady's sitting across the way from us. And we overhear something. And when I overhear something, I have to interact with it because I'm an Irishman. I have to get involved. I want to be involved in everything. So, and I'm louder than life itself. And so usually I say something. My kids say, Dad, don't speak so loud. I have to try and tone it down a little bit, but it's not very possible. But, but it can work to my advantage because then God suddenly uh, open ups, opens up something. 
I was in Guatemala just a, a, in January this year, and, and I was halfway up a mountain in a place called Hobbitanango. And it's, a, it's a, one of those sort of hobbit places that you can stay in a little precious place. It's very, very nice, interesting place. But on the, at, at the bottom of the mountain part of it, when I got there, I, I, uh, I was with the family, a missionary family that I work with in Guatemala. And we were just going, it was just a day out. We were going for a meal. But, but you know, a meal out is never just a meal out. If you're waiting for God to bring the unknown to you, it can never be just a meal out. And so we're going out for a, a breakfast, actually, and there's a bit of a kerfuffle going on just down the, down the road from me. And what happened was these two guys, these two American lads, they were very handsome black lads with long dreadlocks. I would say in their 20s, cousins, I think. But they were having an argument with the taxi driver. And their argument was over. I thought it was quite funny because they were looking for an ATM halfway up a mountain in Guatemala. And it just wasn't going to happen. You know, this isn't Santander. You know, it just isn't there. So anyway, their problem was they'd come from the airport. They were, it was their birthdays. And every year they go off. So must be quite well off. They go off in some other country on their birthdays. So they were coming to Guatemala. They were staying in in, in Pocatanango, and they, they, um, the, the, the people organizing their trip said you can use your credit card to pay the taxi driver. Well, taxi drivers halfway up a mountain don't have a credit card, pointless place at the back of the, back of the car. So they're having a, they couldn't pay this guy. It was four, I think it was $40. So uh, they were just, we heard them and part of them asked them where they're from on that. So I thought, oh, I've just fell I'll, I'll pay it for you. So I went over, I, I had $40 and I, I took it out and I paid their $40 taxi bill. That was, uh, that was fine. They were all over the top. Oh, can we buy you a meal? I thought, well, how are you going to buy me a meal now? You haven't got any money. But anyway, I didn't say that to them. <laughs> just small point. But anyway, I said, listen, God has blessed me. I am a blessed man. You be blessed. And I left it at that. Went up and we had our breakfast. And the two of them were there having, their, there was some deal at this hotel place, Hobbitanango, they were staying there. So I went to sit beside them and I want to just find out a little bit about them. And lovely guys. And, but I never thought I'd hear what I heard next. Suddenly they tell me that, that one of them, his, his mother is, uh, has, is running an orphanage in Malawi. I thought, Wow. And next thing they're going to, they said, well, we're traveling from here. We're going to Ethiopia. I said, where are you going to in Ethiopia? I said, we're going to uh, Addis Ababa. What are you going to be? I'm going to be next week. I said, I'm going to be in Ethiopia next week. So I arranged to meet up with them in Ethiopia the next week. I was going to have an appointment with them. Actually, it, it didn't happen because we had no internet when we got there and we couldn't fight each other. But the point is this. God had set me up with two guys who were totally different from me, who I would never normally see. They were young. I'm not as young as I used to be. They had long hair. We'll leave it at that. And, uh, but, but God somehow got me to stop my chariot for a moment just to, to see, listen, is there somebody, something in your heart that resonates with something in my heart? If there is, come on, give me your hand for a moment. And so we had the most wonderful time sharing about, from my perspective, what God was doing there in this remote mountain in Central America. But God had set it up. And I discovered he does it all the time. He sets me up on planes. He sets me up. I'm an in inherent selfish man like everybody else. I say, Lord, please let there be an empty seat beside me on my plane. But he doesn't answer that prayer. So I said, okay, if you can't answer that prayer, if you're unable to answer that prayer, answer the second one. Put somebody beside me you want me to talk to. 
Now, occasionally I get a seat on my own, which is nice. But usually he sets somebody up for me. I had this lady sitting with me on going over to India. It'd be now a year or so ago. And this lady, she was part Indian and very short hair. She introduced herself as a feminist who lectured on feminism somewhere at the University of Chicago, something like that. And, uh, and she hated Donald Trump. And this is all in the introductory sentence. So I thought, okay, fine, fine, okay. So we sat for several hours sharing about God. And it was amazing how, how I would never have been in a room with this lady, but God had put us together in the front of an airplane just to talk. Maybe that was her moment, but there was enough in her heart as there was in my heart to be able to say, come on, sweetheart, let's just sit together. Give me your hand just for an hour or two. Didn't know it was going to be an hour or two. She walked off with a book that I gave her. I sat with another guy going over to Ethiopia where this, this guy, he, he sat beside me, a little old man, and he didn't really say very much. His feet hardly touched the floor. And I found out he was a Greek Orthodox guy. And, and uh, when I asked him all about about his life. He was going back to see family in Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that. I'm not really sure where he was going, but he was a Greek Orthodox. And when I found, found out he was born in Bethlehem, I thought that's a great start. I said, I know somebody else who was born in Bethlehem. <laughs> and we had the most wonderful time sharing. And he took a New Testament from me, a Gideon's New Testament that I carry. I always carry two of them with me. I've got a friend who's a Gideon. He gives me two of them. And I pray, God, I want to sow these two into somebody's life before I leave my, my travel. So sometimes it happens. It happens in airports. And that's for me. That's my life. But what I'm saying is that God constantly sets us up because he said, he said the fields are white unto harvest. He didn't say they will be white unto harvest. He said they are white unto harvest, which means they're white today for those that have the eyes to see them. And so leading from the known into the unknown, God will unveil for us our unknown and make it known. He'll set you up this week. He will set you up where you'll be riding your chariot doing what you always do because we are methodical people who tend to run our weeks the same every week. But God will set you up. And I want to encourage you, when you're leading into the unknown, be aware God's already in the unknown and he will put somebody in your path this way, this week, who is totally different from you. Somebody who maybe doesn't look like you, who you would never naturally be part of. I remember I was sitting just on my last, one of my last trips I was coming, I don't know where I was going, I, I was coming in America somewhere, I was flying from one part of America to another, and, and I sat beside, I, I had to plug my phone in, and, and God works in all these, I just needed to find a charging point, and right, another lady, had her, she was larger than life herself, so two larger than life people started talking, but she was a lovely black lady from Nigeria, and uh, I recognized her, her voice and her accent, I've been to Nigeria, so I started talking to her about Nigeria. And uh, she was a, a beauty consultant or something like that. I didn't think so, but that's another story. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'll wind that one back. She was gorgeous, this girl. And we, we, sat, we sat together for a little while and sh she opened up to me. You know. But anyway, I, I, I took one of my New Testaments and I gave it to her and her face just lit up. Oh, she said, I, I, I had a Bible, but it's too big to carry. I would love that. And she took hold of this New Testament in the middle of the, the departure lines and was, was, was just so delighted. And I thought, wow, people say people don't want to know about God. This lady just grabbed this thing and it became a treasured possession for her. But God had set us up. God had set me up. But I had to stop my chariot right in the middle. And what happens in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse, 
verse 5, he says, listen, if your heart is as my heart, give me your hand. I preached on this once in, a, in our own church many, many years ago when I, I invited in, I used to work in the schools. We had 10 schools, and I invited in the, the teachers. We had a, a special service, an we call it an education service. We invited in all the teachers, and they came. And the headmisters and headmasters came, and the headmistress of the main school, secondary school, I gave her 10 minutes to speak, or we gave her 10 minutes to speak to say what the needs of the school were. And then I shared after, I shared on this verse. I said, listen, you can look after their physical education and all that, but you can't look after their spiritual lives. We can't look after their education, but we can look after your spiritual lives. If your heart's as our heart, give us your hand. Let's work this town together so that we can meet the needs of people. And I want to encourage you in this fantastic church. I boast of this church everywhere I go. And I believe God's put something amazing here in this place. He's done something incredible here. Is doing something incredible here. But let me tell you this. There is a whole crowd of people who today are living in the unknown. Your neighbors, your friends, your, your people who you know in your family, people you will meet at your workplace, people you'll meet in the supermarkets. There's a whole generation, generations of unknown people who at this point are unknown. This time, in a year's time, they'll be sitting in this church. Do you know why they'll be sitting in this church? They'll be sitting in this church because God will set you up whereby you've got to reach out your hand to them and realize that if there's something in your heart, it might be the children that you identify with, uh, this morning I met someone who's running. It may be you're running or whatever your, your different thing. It's good that we've got interests outside the church. It gets us in contact with people. But there's enough in their heart, in your heart, where you can say, give me your hand. Sometimes people said the world, you know, look at where the world's going. We believe our Facebook postings too much. We look at where the world's going and we say it's going to hell. No, listen, God has put you and me here so that individually and corporately, we can reach out our hand to people who are in the unknown, in the unknown, but to God is not the unknown. To God, they've been there all the time. And they might never walk into this church because they feel wrongly that they wouldn't be accepted, but their culture can't line up with my culture which is a very simple Methodist background culture, but they don't have that. Don't feel they can be accepted until somebody stops their chariot and says, listen, I see something in your heart that I identify with my heart, and I hope you see something in my heart that's caused me to stop my chariot today and look at your heart. If you look at the rest of the story, you'll, I'll not go into it, but if you go into the rest of the story, you look at Jehonadab. God uses him in a great way. Read, read uh, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah 35, and it talks all about him. God says about that man, he says, I'll have somebody from the Rechabites standing in my presence all the days of their life. It's the only promise in Scripture there's no condition to. Usually God says, if, if. But he saw the Rechabites, he saw the, the Jehonadab and said, I've seen enough. They'll stand before me forever. And I want to challenge you this morning as we pray. This week, open up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, as Jesus said. The fields, they're white to harvest. And God will set you up this week. Sometimes I enter a conversation and I'm immediately shut up. You'll know what that's like. Sometimes you just realize this person does not want to interact with me. That's fine. That's fine. But I can guarantee you this week, there will be somebody, for every one of us in this place, there will be somebody this week who God will set up in your... See, we miss them most of the time. 
because we think they won't be interested. No. God will bring them right into your... And you'll know when they're there because your heart will say, oh, should I say something? I want to get you to do this. Stop your chariot. Reach out your hand and say, hey, can I pray for you? In fact, I don't ever say that with people now. If I want to pray for somebody, I don't ask them. I just close my eyes and start praying. Because then they can just say thank you or clear off. But they don't. Nobody ever does. Just pray for them. That God will bless them. Amen. Father, I pray for each one here this morning. I thank you that uh, th there's a lot of, of uh, strange stuff in this message. Uh, a parallel, an underground uh, movement, really, that somehow will break out at some time. And Lord, your agents of breakout, your agents of reconciliation are sitting here in this church this morning or watching on live stream or listening by, by some way or whatever. They're, they're connecting. Th these are your agents Lord, who you want us to stop our chariot. And I pray this week, help each one of us, God, not to race through our life thinking that we've got to get to our destination. Lord, I pray, take away the thought of our destination and help us to realize we're on a journey, a journey that needs to be broken up with appointments from people that are breaking out from the unknown into the known. And I pray, God, that you will cause each one of us to be aware. Holy Spirit, come, give us a revelation this week that when we meet somebody who you're breaking out from the unknown, let us know that person. Let us stop our chariot and let us take the time to introduce them to you and to the life of the church. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.